Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. As I've mentioned before, I live in New York City. And this past week, it's been cold. Not like Snowpiercer cold, not even Canada cold, but I am not used to these temperatures, and I can tell you, I'm not into it. But lately, there are a lot of people who seem to be really into the cold. Welcome to the polar plunge, baby! It's become almost an obsession. The latest culty fad in cities. I'm talking cold plunges, ice baths, freezing cold showers. Supposedly, there are all sorts of health benefits, and the celebrities love it. Including, obviously, Gwyneth Paltrow. Now you understand that you can control your body, even the ritual of a cold shower. You tell yourself, I'm in control of this. That's amazing. Amazing, is that? Justin Bieber's a fan, too. I do the ice plunge regardless every day because it's good for your body. You do it every day? Pretty much every day, yeah. Ice plunge in in like an ice bath or like just cold water? Uh, Ice bath. Is it Wim Hof? Wim Wim Hof, but he has these breathing techniques and he's, he's a G. Hello. I've just been watching YouTube videos of you. All right. Can I hug you? Of course. Hi, you lovely lady. Thank you. It's so nice, nice to, meet to meet you. Nice to meet you. You're the living example of mind over matter. Nowadays, the cold is so hot. And it's all thanks to that man, Wim Hof, who likes to call himself the Iceman. Hey, guys. I'm the Iceman. <laughs> Very cold. No. Very warm. Harder. Now, Wim Hof's company, Innerfire, didn't respond directly to our questions for this podcast, so we don't have his side of the story. But it seems like there's a side to the Iceman's method that isn't as bright as snow. From Sony Music Entertainment and Campside Media, this is Infamous, and I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. I'm Natalie Robermitt. So this week, we're talking about the Iceman himself, Wim Hof, and his method, which has been getting more and more popular. Right. Wim Hof is this eccentric Dutch athlete who started his career breaking records for swimming under ice, touching ice, running a marathon on ice. 
But Wim doesn't just want to be a wacky record breaker who pulls weird, don't try this at home type stunts. Yeah, he wants you to try this at home. His whole thing is that spending time in the cold has major health benefits. He's also popularized this breathing exercise that essentially replicates hyperventilating. And he's developed something of a cult following. Here's mega-popular neuroscientist-slash-male-health-influencer, the one and only Andrew Huberman. I think it's a very impressive thing, and, and, you know, hats off to Wim for discovering and thinking about a way to recruit the what's called the innate immune system. If you can't decide whether these cold plunges and weird breathing exercises sound insanely brilliant or just insane, you're not alone. Our guest today, investigative journalist Scott Carney, has changed his mind about Wim Hof a few times. He went from skeptic to convert to close personal friend of Wim's until he started looking into the effects of Wim's method. That's when things started to get dark. Very, very dark. Now, Scott doesn't just see following Wim's method as a matter of personal preference, but as a matter of life or death. Scott Carney is a wonderful journalist and anthropologist. He is also one of the foremost thinkers and I guess you could say purveyors even of the cold plunge trend. I think Americans first decided they liked yoga, then they decided they liked steam showers, then they liked saunas. But now all these people who are into wellness are all about cold plunges. Would you agree with this, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think like... America loves its trends. And I certainly was at the very beginning of the most recent iteration of cold plunging. I mean, the reality is it goes back 2,000, 3,000 years. But in the most recent iteration, uh, I was the first person to really write seriously about a guy named Wim Hof, who is the Dutch Iceman. And He has blown up to be extremely important. And I wrote this New York Times bestselling book called What Doesn't Kill Us About Him, which did remarkably well. It it hit the trend at exactly the right moment. So you say it's 3,000 years old, this idea of cold plunging. Like, what's the history? I mean, it's probably longer than 3,000 years. I mean, we we, we only have 5,000 years of written records in, in the world. You know, the Stoics talked about it. The yogis talked about it. It's briefly mentioned in the Rig Veda. This idea of cold plunges goes throughout all of history because it's a thing that we've always done, um, challenging cold. And, you know, there was a huge movement called hydrotherapy from the eight, late 18s to the 30s, where people would go into cold water and go into hot water. There's also Palfrey Ivanov, who was until 1980, he was a, a Russian Christian water saint, a guy who like preached cold water. And then Wim Hof looks like exactly like Palfrey Ivanov, really funny. And he, he's preaching the same stuff. So we see this cycle come over and over again. And I think to every generation, they're like, hey, we're too comfortable. Hey, let's go in ice water. And Wim is the current guy doing it. So how cold does a cold plunge have to be? Like, 34 degrees? I mean, this is a question that 
everyone asks and no one knows the answer to. I think it has to more to do with your sensory system. So if you feel like you, it is a challenge to you, then it's fine. Then the, it's not the absolute number. It's actually about the temperature differential. Oh, so what about cold showers? Do just cold showers work? Yep. Cold showers are great. Just get in there and don't shiver. Like it really is about the mind over matter aspect of this, where you say, oh, that's a challenge. Oh, I can handle the challenge. I think that's way more important than what the actual temperature does to you. <laughs> and so basically you tend to do, I, I, I almost want to use the word bro, but what it is is like man against the world, <laughs> right? Like that tends to be your thing, like men pushing them to extremes. It's like Huberman mm. Labs, but guys who take on science plus trends plus the individual, the sort of American instinct to be the individual against the world. God, right? you may, <laughs> Am I being too facetious? You're making me feel so tired, actually. <laughs> um, but I think you're, you're sort of right. In no, the... <laughs> that's cutting edge now, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I, Huberman Labs can't be any bigger than it is. And I don't want to make you sound like this generalist. I mean, you have things that you know about that you go really deep in. So one of them is Wim mm. Hof. So you got an assignment to write about him for Playboy. Mm. You are off to Poland and you sort of think this guy is a little bit of a charlatan. Like, I don't know about these ice baths. Okay. Officially, it's a three-part method, right? Which is uh, cold exposure, breath work, and mindset, as he calls it. And the cold exposure is you get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out in the ice water, you relax. You override your desire to, like, tense all your muscles, and you say, nah, it's okay. It'll be fine. And by doing that, you build resilience in that ice water by literally overriding your fight or flight responses in the sensation of death, which is ice water. And then you relax and that has autoimmune and anxiety benefits for sure. Documented scientifically numerous times. Really cool stuff. In addition, there is breath work, which is sort of similar to the ice bath in the sense that you create a stimulus in your body by hyperventilating. So breathing super fast and hard and then exhaling and holding your breath and holding your breath for as long as you're extending your breath holds. And then you do repeated cycles of that where you're creating an internal environment and you create these stimuli that then you're able to use your brain to be like, no, I can handle myself. I can relax when I'm stressing out. I can amp myself up and still be okay. Can you do this breath work for us for a second? Sure. The way I do it is it would be something like this. I will probably get dizzy because I am standing right now, but here we go. <sighs> for 50 breaths, then exhale. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna be silent for a long time. And then, and then when I feel like that urge to breathe, I will breathe and then I will repeat those cycles over and over again. You do this for 45 minutes no. in no, no, no. very cold water. No, 100% no, you're very wrong. <laughs> okay. okay, all right, all right. Extremely all right. wrong. You are not certified. I do that every morning. So, I mean, I don't know what you're doing. but <laughs> um, No, you do that completely separate from water. Never touch water while you're doing the breath work. You do it for like 10 minutes of breathing in, in, the, in the morning, maybe less. It's not an intensively long time. And then you practice that alone in, in, in your bed. And then later in the day, separated by at least 10 minutes, then you go in the ice water and you relax. But Vanessa, I am really 
not surprised that you made that conflation because Wim Hof is basically breathwork Santa now. He is ridiculously famous and people know him as the guy who breathes heavily and hyperventilates and holds his breath and has all these records for swimming under ice packs and doing these things. And you get the idea and he has promoted the idea that the breathing makes you resistant to cold, which is just not physiologically true at all. The third part is mindset. And mindset is completely ill-defined. It's like the Holy Ghost in Christianity. It's sort of like saying that your brain can relax in stress. So, so you go to Poland and you're there and you're thinking this guy's sort of full of it because he's making all these claims about how ice baths and some sort of breathing will fix everything. And then what happens? Well, yeah, I'm there officially to debunk him. Like, he's going to get people killed just like these other people because he's sitting in his underwear on icebergs. And like, of course, you're going to die of hypothermia. And I meet him and my life changes because I try his method and it works. Anybody who has a sibling knows that sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope, on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince Harry and Prince William. They'd been each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wandry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle? Or was it something that began much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wandery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. rocketmoney.com infamous. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So Scott is in Poland reporting a big profile on Wim Hof for Playboy. And when he arrives, he has every reason to think that the story is going to be a hatchet job. Just a splashy, sensational piece that reveals how Wim is a charlatan. Because this guy seems insane. 16% is willfully uh, 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 in control of our brain by humans, yeah? That, that is the normal standard. That is the normal under, physiological, neuroscientific uh, understanding of what we can do within our brain. 
16% control, and I was 100. So explain that. We can override the brainstem. We can override even death when we see our child underneath a car or amidst the traffic. We go, there's no thinking, fear is gone. But we should not need, we should not need triggers like that to make use of that power to go within that 100% of our brain. And now we have shown how to do it. So I arrived in Poland. I saw him. I was like, this guy is going to be easy to debunk because he is obviously crazy. He looks like a homeless dude. And for some reason, I'm driving out from Roklaw to who knows where in the mountains with him. And we're going to be hanging out for a week doing icy baby stuff. Let me read your description of him. He wore a green hat and had a red nose and ruddy skin that made him appear a little gnomish. He was bursting with energy, talked loudly, and smelled like an onion. Yeah, like a like a pleasant little gnomish onion. Um, <laughs> yeah, breathwork Santa. <laughs> <laughs> so when you meet him, like he is a crazy dude. He is erratic. He talks scientific nonsense. When you listen to Wim talk, you can be inspired by Wim, and I do not mind people being inspired by Wim. But when you actually listen to his words, it's like insanity. The internal is being trained through going into the cold. There is no excuse there. The cold is righteous, but merciless as well. It just, your brain is pathetic. And so... Get to his his place, right? And 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 I, I put my bag down. It's like a bunk bed upstairs. And this place is like a ramshackle farmhouse. Like there is still a coal furnace where you shovel coal into a furnace. Like it's 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 really bad shape. And I, I go upstairs and I look out the window, and one of his students is like basically nude. I mean he has underwear on, but basically nude in the snow in the winter that stopped the Nazi army. And he's in the snow and he's throwing snow on himself and there's look, what looks like steam coming off of his body. And I'm like, oh God, this looks terrible. You know, and then I hang out with Wim and I talk with him. And, you know, as an anthropologist or in a journalist, I have two options, right? I can jump in and try this stuff or I can watch from a distance and be like, I will analyze this and tell you what I think of your method. And I'm the sort of guy who jumps in. And so I try it and, you know, the short of it is it changes my life because it works, right? Like, like I, I'm standing in the snow for hours at a time. Uh, I climb up a snowy mountain in my underwear. I do more push-ups than I ever did before, and I'm holding my breath while doing it. I'm surprised. It's super cool. And I go from thinking that Wim Hof maybe talks nonsense, maybe is erratic and weird, but he has some fundamental pearl of wisdom that is worth understanding. And the question is, is it prana coming down from heaven and Wim Hof the guru is giving you stuff? Or is it, um, is there an evolutionary uh, biological understanding here? Wait, now, wasn't it horrible at first? Because I know when I have been in a cold plunge, it's like having the worst mm -hmm. pins and needles you've ever had. You mm -hmm. know, it's like your leg falling asleep at your whole body. Totally. And it's because we're not used to it, right? Like the first thing I did was I stood in the snow with Wim for like 10 minutes. And in your underwear. In my underwear. But it was my feet that was in the snow. So who cares what's going on in my around my waist? Um, my my feet are like, this is like, in, it's like I'm standing on hot coals. Because when you 
Right. Put your feet in. It's burning. It's burning. You get vasoconstriction, which means the arteries in your extremities contract to put the blood in your core so you don't die. That's biology. And as somebody who was living in India and then California, I had like never hung out in the snow with my feet. And so naturally that was a very painful experience. For most people who try this initially, the vasoconstriction is painful because you've never used those muscles. Literally you have muscles in your arteries, believe it or not, they're called smooth muscle. And if you've never flexed them and you can only flex them by putting them in a thermal um, environment, a thermal change, that's going to hurt because you never used those muscles before. And the first time it felt horrible for five minutes, but the second day I could do 20 minutes and then I was doing an hour and your body improves very quickly or adapts very quickly to that because that's what evolution gave us. We have adaptive bodies because if you're a caveman and there's a snowstorm coming, you're not like, well, I'll get ready for this snowstorm like next week. No, your body has to change now. So, so, but after the first time where you just like, you felt high, you felt incredible. When you went back inside and you had a hot toddy, you were like, this is one of the great days of my life. I, I think it took like a few days to get there, honestly, because it is very difficult to watch your body change and it's very exhausting. But yes, it was eye-opening. I'd seen things that my body had never done before. And it was because... I hadn't exposed myself to these environments before. And like most of us live at 72 degrees all year long, winter or summer, and we come from an evolutionary place where there were always constant variations. And I think it's very important to emphasize this point. Wim Hof opened the door for me, but it wasn't Wim Hof who made my arteries change. Like that's just human biology. And what he becomes is this very great vehicle to inspire people to do the crazy things that he does. He is so enthusiastic. He's so bombastic and fun. And then because we're all sort of like not exposed to this stuff, it feels like he's opened the door to this amazing kingdom of biology. But he's sort of a one trick pony. And I think that's, this is what I've sort of come to at this point in my career. So I wrote the book. Oh, oh, uh, just to say one more thing, I followed him for 10 years. I eventually hiked up Mount Kilimanjaro with him in my underwear, and it was negative 30 degrees outside. We made it to the top, which is Gilman's Point. We have done it with the Wim Hof himself. And I was, I mean, it wasn't warm, but I made it, right? I made it. And and it, it is truly surprising, truly shocking. That is so unbelievable. Can we just pause on that for a second? Mm-hmm. You hiked up Mount Kilimanjaro. You had Sherpas, I assume, who yeah, carried yeah, yeah, the, yeah, totally. the, the tents. And, right. the, and how many days does it take to do this? And when you say underwear, do you mean like long johns that are just shorts? I, I meant like a bathing suit. With a warm hat? Yeah, I had a hat. I had With a hat. hat? I might have had gloves, too. Um <laughs> And okay. we, a bathing suit. So we, and you're pouring, pouring wet. And you're must have been. naked. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it sounds dumb, right? It sounds dumb. And and the, the thing is, is that the surprise, there are two surprising things that happened. One, I did it at all. Two was that um, we did it very fast. I mean, not like world record fast. So the whim was saying, we're going to break a record the whole time up there. We're going to get a record. And the record for climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is something on the order of like three hours. Okay, so it's it's not what we did. But he was like, we're going to get a record. We're going to do it in under 30 hours without acclimation. And usually when you do 
the, the guy who did it in three hours, the reason why that hack works is because he moves so quickly that he doesn't have to acclimate. You're not going to get into altitude sickness because he moves so fast. But the general, most people don't ultra run Kilimanjaro, right? The, in the mountaineering community, you generally take three days to get up because you want to acclimate at different points. What we did is we hyperventilated that stuff that I was doing before from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain at a, at a walking pace. So it wasn't a feat of speed, but it was a feat of diaphragmatic movement. All right, Wim, tell me what we do. How, how do we breathe when we're on the mountain? Yes. First of all, we need focus. Uh, and the second one is the neurotransmitters. So make uh, breathe consciously. And that means breathe more than you feel is necessary. You do it consciously. Because then you supplement more oxygen inside of your body. Because I was, we were compensating for the available oxygen, so compensating for the altitude sickness. And we did it in 28 hours, which was impressive, but I wouldn't call it a record, although Wim constantly did. And this gets into a thing that we will talk about quite a bit. That's a record. That's a record. That's a record. 28 hours, no acclimatization, just breathing, and no one fell and died, which is also very good, because yeah. I, I almost did that once or twice. <laughs> so so when you're saying you're going with him, it's like you and a bunch of accolades? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Me and like 30 people. And 30 people. So you slept or not really? Slept for about three hours, as I recall. Oh, uh, oh my God. Yeah. Just like on a yoga mat, like in the cold? And by the way, if you're going to go hike down Kilimanjaro, don't do what I did. It was not fun. Like... You go all the way to Tanzania. Why don't you just enjoy it and take a slower time? There's no real point except to take that naked selfie at the top, right? Right, right. Or, well, that's the ego, the great male ego has been satiated. Yes. So you come back. You're, I mean, all during this time, you canker sores go away. Mm -hmm. Your wife gets into this. Mm -hmm. Eventually, get a cold plunge at your house. You stay in touch with Wim. You do write this bestseller. Mm -hmm with him and you become a real booster. Yes. I mean, you're out there, you're on NPR, you're talking to people. Basically, one of your big claims from listening to it is that this human body is not built for comfort and actually taking it out of a comfortable state is only good in, in meaning like good in a longevity, like you could live longer. I mean, we evolve with variation. If we give ourselves safe variations, you don't want to go to variation to danger, but if you do want to increase the amplitude of your sensations that you feel because we have a sensory system because it's supposed to sense the environment. But in the modern world, we aim towards comfort, which is aiming for not amplitude. We're aiming for a steady, easy state. So you write, like, comfort's golden age has a hidden dark side with no challenge to overcome, frontier to press or threat to flee from, the humans of this millennium are overstuffed, overheated, and understimulated. Success over the natural world hasn't made our bodies stronger. Quite the opposite, in fact. Effortless comfort has made us fat, lazy, and increasingly in ill health. But the actual science on that ends up being mixed in terms of Wim Hof, right? It does feel like when I click around the nature study. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of different studies saying, well, I don't know about that. That's nice that Wim Hof says his method will combat modern living. <laughs> but uh. yes and no is where it comes down to. I think, like we said earlier, we get this idea that one thing that you try becomes a panacea. And I don't think Wim Hof method is a panacea. I think it's a great exercise. Like, 
Jogging is a great exercise. And this is just happens to exercise a part of our bodies that we don't usually access. And I believe the studies on the autoimmune remission, so the endotoxin study, which is the one you talked about, showed in a lab that the Wim Hof method, breathing combined with cold exposure, decreased the inflammatory responses and autoimmune markers that had never been seen before under a laboratory setting. So these individuals that were uh, doing your method versus the control, when they were injected with the endotoxin, their immune response was activated, but immediately they had this anti-inflammatory cytokines coming out and quieting the immune system from not going crazy. And that's why they were not experiencing all the negative effects of when you have your immune system going overactive, it's yeah. inflammation. Yeah, there's no need anymore. Yeah. In all these autoimmune diseases about the inflammation, the mm -hmm. cytokine production and all that, they control it. They control the pain. They control all the symptoms and they don't need the medicines anymore. And that's really cool. And anecdotally, which is not a random controlled study, but I have met many, many people who have autoimmune illnesses decrease. I've met many, many people who have had, and myself too, right? I've also had uh, met... You're talking about the canker sores canker or something sores, else? Yeah. And you, people use it to treat anxiety and depression and a, a whole bunch of stuff, which is legitimately impressive. But it's not a replacement for all medicine. And I think that this is where the the problems in the Wim Hof methods come. You know, like somehow it's like you're a wellness person or you're a medical person. Both sides sort of hate each other right? because the theories behind them are different. Like Western medicine, it's like you have an underlying condition, like a virus causes your disease and, and, and then they kill the virus and your disease goes away. And then you have in the wellness community, if you build up your inner vitality, you won't get sick. And both are somewhat true, but, and they don't need to be in opposition to each other, but they have become very much in opposition. So now Wim Hof, we have a bunch of problems with Wim as he's grown more and more famous. He's become one of these people who, who talks about big pharma conspiracies, trying to like murder him, trying to undo the method because he has the cure that no scientist understands. At the same time, he's saying, look, science backs me up. It's a contradictory statement. One, science backs me up. Two, science is wrong and they don't, and I'm better than science. Back in the 90s, Pepsi and Coca-Cola were in a heated race to try and win loyal customers by any means necessary. But when Pepsi launched an ambitious promotion that encouraged people to buy Pepsi and redeem points for prizes, they overlooked their own fine print in a major way. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question. Who thought this was a good idea? Like, who at Pepsi thought it would be a good idea to advertise that people could earn enough points to redeem a military jet as a prize? When they launched their Pepsi points system, they never imagined somebody might actually try to snag it. But a 23-year-old did, and suddenly, Pepsi owed him a jet. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Welcome to True Spies. 
the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. When we left off, Scott was just starting to doubt Wim. He still believed in Wim's method, but wondered why Wim was pushing these outlandish and unscientific theories. By the way, when we reached out to Wim Hof to check this story, this was the response we got. Thank you for your interest in the Wim Hof method. Unfortunately, we are refraining from scheduling a new project at this time due to Wim's busy schedule. Therefore, we regretfully decline your request. Hope for your understanding and wish you all the best. Warm and cold regards. Anyway, the more Scott got to know Wim, the more he saw this affable, breathwork Santa character was actually a lot more complicated than he thought. Scott began to wonder how much Wim should be trusted and whether there are parts of his method that might be dangerous. When does the questioning start? So there are like several origin parts of this for me. One is that I've always been skeptical of the cult of personality that shows up around gurus. At the same time, I've often seen gurus have usually pearls of wisdom that are useful and interesting. So I have a conflicted feelings about gurus. But as Wim Hof, when he was starting, when, when I met him, the business was called Inner Fire was very small. And, and I feel like it has grown to a point where it, the money that it generates, and, and they're worth about $18 million, according to corporate filings, has sort of overpowered sort of the sane messages around it. it, it the marketing is, is bigger than the science. And I find that really, really problematic. And when I've tried to tell the truth about my nuanced view of the Wim Hof method, I get threats from law of lawsuits from the organization Inner Fire. They've sent like copyright takedown notices on my videos trying to like silence my reporting, which as a reporter, I do not like. And then I asked the question, which really altered my life in the last year. When I asked the question of how many people have died doing the Wim Hof method, because no one had really asked this question since about 2015, when four people had, had been documented for drowning in, in the water doing the Wim Hof method. And I started digging into it through various news reports, collecting data, putting stuff out on YouTube and be like, hey, does anyone know of these incidents? At this point, your relationship with Wim is good? You know, it's interesting. There's a recording on my YouTube channel where Wim, I talked to him right after I released this video. He's like, I'm so glad you put this out. It's going to help clean up the method. It's going to be great. And then two days later, he starts telling his instructors, he starts calling me cunt carny to his organization. And then I'm like, well, I guess that relationship's burned. You haven't really spoken to him since then, I bet. No, I think there maybe have been one or two very brief interactions. The thing with Wim Hof is that he has created an aura of 
fighting the extremes, going out, pushing your limits. And when I learned from him, he taught me that I should be doing this in water. I should be holding my breath underwater and swimming underwater while holding my, after hyperventilating, I could hold my breath a really long period of time. Cause when you hyperventilate, you blow off carbon dioxide out of your system and your body detects the gasp reflex by rising CO2 levels. So you're able to hold your breath longer because you've artificially lowered that CO2 in your system. So it's like, you haven't gained a superpower. You sort of turned off the alarm bells. The problem with hyperventilating, though, is that because you've taken off the alarm bells, you can actually get to a point where you've used up your oxygen before your alarm bells go off. And when you deplete your oxygen, you pass out. This is the recipe for something that's called shallow water blackout. And Wim was always playing with that point of getting people to fainting in his lessons. And he's known for getting these... Guinness records for swimming under sea ice, whereby he hyperventilated before he swam and then swam under ice. And there's all of these videos, all of his marketing materials about how awesome he is with these big feats. But those big feats don't have anything to do with the health benefits. And I think that there's just been this dangerous conflation that Wim Hof has promoted where you should be practicing his breath work in water. And it's but it's weird because they also have these warnings underneath their videos saying, don't ever practice it in water. So it's this confusing message. Did you practice this in water? Yes. Yeah, yeah I did. Until 2015, I did not understand the dangers. I would do laps in the community center pool here and I would hyperventilate. I would swim underwater and I'd swim back and I'd just get right to my limit. and I'd come up and I'm like, oh, look how cool I am. You felt faint. You felt faint. You felt like you couldn't go any further. Um, no, that's the thing, yeah, Vanessa. Felt I felt yeah. good. It felt, you felt it good. feels euphoric. Right. People are just not as fit as you. And these are people who are trying to get up to that level of fitness, or these are just people who are just pushing and pushing and pushing. It's and all sorts of people, honestly. One story, it's a guy named Hamish Jameson, who was in New Zealand and Auckland, and he decides to go do sauna and then breath work in the local pool. And he hyperventilates, goes in the pool, passes out and spends seven minutes underwater and is not noticed by the lifeguards because they've seen him doing this before. They do actually pull him out and resuscitate him. He spends, I think, eight weeks on ECMO life support, which is pretty intensive life support. He does make a full recovery. But the reason why his story is really useful because he tells you, yeah, I was doing the Wim Hof method in water because I thought that's why it was practiced. I would say it's more like go-getter men. Go-getter dudes are sort of where his market niche is. And maybe men just want to prove ourselves. We want to strut our stuff maybe a little bit more. But he started this whole cultural virus. He's put this out there and... Frankly, at this point, I, I feel really bad about putting out what doesn't kill us and not including more warnings about like why to watch out for whim. When I put out what doesn't kill us, there were a bunch of stories that I didn't include in the book. When he started getting famous and he was doing stunts around this time, around 2008, he would swim under sheets of ice. He would hang from one finger from a balloon on like morning shows. And, and he was doing all these Guinness Book records where he would sit in a, in a tub of ice for half an hour and then go on a talk show like a week later and sit for an, half an hour and one minute. And then they'd say, we have another record. And he got like, you know, supposedly 18 world records by basically doing these feats that no one else was contesting. Around that time, he started saying he wanted to create sort of a health and wellness group, and his family started reaching out to him. And one of his sons, Anum, 
who admits that he doesn't practice the method, starts taking Wim and packaging him for the international lecture circuit. And Wim had not seen his other son, Michael, in years. And he said, look, Michael, I want to meet you in a place called Vondel Park in Amsterdam. And we're going to hang out and we're going to talk and we're going to sort of reunite. Wim gets there early to this park. And because he's Wim, because he's crazy, his son has not yet arrived. So he decides to strip off his clothes and jump into the fountain and, and swim into the middle of the fountain. In the middle of this sort of fountain, there is a 20 foot water spout that spurts into the air. And you've seen these things before. And Wim swims out to the middle of it. And because he's Wim, he sits on the spout and gives himself an enema. Oh, my God. That is not where I thought that was going. Okay. And he says he's done this a hundred times before. I, I do. I give myself fountain enemas all the time, he says. And he gives himself an enema to clear, to, to as he says, get the shit out. And he does this, but, 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 Somehow the fountain man maintainers had changed the spout on that fountain. So it was a narrower gauge to go higher. And instead of just giving himself a clean, a cleansing enema in a public fountain, he cuts through his intestines like a water knife. And it is just horrible on the inside. He's bleeding or shit and blood coming out of his ass. And he paddles over to the side and Michael, his son, is there. And he says, Michael, take me to the hospital. I'm dying. This story, and I asked Wim, I was like, why did you do that? Was it because you felt so bad about not seeing Michael for so long that you just wanted to externalize your shame or your, your contriteness? And he said, maybe it was like, maybe you want to get this idea that you want to kill yourself and then you do this. And this story he uses to talk about how resilient he is, because he apparently, he says, he cured himself without any antibiotics after getting his, his, himself stitched up. He has spun this story to be like a, a, like a superpower, when the reality is, is that the people following Wim Hof's advice are following a guy who would almost kill himself on a fountain with an enema. Wait, so where does he live? Where does this guy live? He lives in, uh, currently he lives half the time in uh, outside of Amsterdam and half the time in Australia with his current wife's family. How has all of this changed how you think about him as a person? I mean, what motivates him and like initial assumption before you wrote the Playboy article? Do you think that's right that he's sort of a charlatan? It's such a good and hard and difficult question because part of me thinks that Wim Hof opened the door to something that the world was not talking about and I think is very useful. The other part of me thinks that we have this tendency to make cults of fame around people that are to our detriment. And we have essentially deified uh, Wim Hof, and where he becomes this infallible guru whose narrative is he was smarter than science and you should listen to him to cure all of your ills. Therefore, everything he does is right. And that is not the right way to think about him. He is a guy who is unstable and he has these grandiose ideas about himself winning a Nobel Prize. He has all of the character traits of these gurus that that push him beyond what is okay. And, and my feeling is that Wim Hof now is hurting the thing that I loved about Wim Hof by creating this market, by trying to become breathwork Santa Claus instead of just a guy who should inspire you and then you should be really rational about it. And I find the marketing 
incredibly toxic because he makes claims that are well beyond what the science is. And it doesn't make any sense to me because the science is actually really cool. Why not just tell you what the science is and be like, hey, this is great and not start making claims that it cures cancer or cures COVID or does these things that that push it beyond but reality. Is he indeed getting more and more popular? I mean, you wrote this book with him, so you have some sense of that. There's a movie coming out about him with Joseph Fiennes that's been greenlit and apparently has gone through filming. That's coming out this year. Uh, but, there, you know, it's Gwyneth Paltrow does. He was on Goop Lab. Justin Bieber says it. Kylie Jenner says it. I believe Tom Cruise talks about it. Like, he is a celebrity darling. There's pictures of him with Oprah, pictures of him with jo uh, Jason Statham. He is a really big deal. And it's all about his personality. And I find that really, really dangerous because his his marketing messages push past your limits. Well, what happens when you actually push past your limits? Like, if they were your limits, you die. In some ways, he's like a secret guru because it's true. It's well known among this very, very high echelon of people and hasn't fully broken into the mainstream, but it probably will with a, with a mainstream movie. So for you, you know, do you still do the Wim Hof method? Every morning. Like, yeah. Every morning wow. I, I wake up with my wife and we do the breath work and I, I do my like Wim Hof push-ups. And then most days I'll jump into my cold plunge. And mm. it really is a large part of my life, which is why this is such a difficult story for me to tell, because I see nuance. There's a big gray area here. And you feel some guilt. You I must do. feel some guilt mm -hmm. for having popularized it, right? I do. And I feel guilt for for not including the full story. But to be fair, it's not just me. It's all over the place. You know, the BBC had just had a show about him showing how great Wim Hof was, where they show him hyperventilating in water and then performing underwater feats. You know, it's it's Joe Rogan, it's Aubrey Marcus. It's all of these people who want to get access to that fame of whim to, to, to promote their own brands and don't have, I mean, there aren't journalistic controls anymore on a lot of these influencers. I mean, there never were journalistic controls on influencers. And to say something negative, if you want to see something crazy, go over to my video, which is the rise and fall of the Wim Hof empire and read the comments and you will see People just being like, look, those people who died, they just weren't really performing the real Wim Hof method because you can't die doing the Wim Hof method because that would be wrong. It's like it's like this this circular argument about what is right because Wim Hof can't do anything wrong. Then everyone who, who gets hurt doing it had to be it's a blame the victim mentality. And that's it's not right when you have incidents. It's, it's cover ups. It's protect the brand at all costs. It's not oh my God, we have a problem. Maybe we can tweak something about our branding instead. And that would make me cost us a, you know, a little bit of money. In, instead, I feel like it's a very callous organization. And I'm severely disappointed in Wim Hof and in the organization around him because it really is this money hustle. Mm. So this is going to end up with a million and one lawsuits, it sounds like. It's a fascinating story, and we will definitely be watching it. Absolutely. And there is a lawsuit. It's a $67 million lawsuit out of Los Angeles right now. Thank you so much, Scott, for being here. Scott has an incredible podcast called Scott Carney Investigates, where he talks about all of his various investigations, including Wim Hof. And he has a new book coming out called The Dream. Dream, the art and science of slumber. The art and science of... Okay, thank Thank you so much for being here with us, Scott. 
That's it for this week. I'd just like to say that for a lot of people, the appeal of the Wim Hof method is in conquering the cold and conquering nature, seeing just how far you can push your limits. But when you put yourself in the hands of a guru, it's not really you pushing your limits anymore. It's the guru who's in control. And that can be a pretty frightening prospect when it comes to deciding when to take your next breath. Next week on Infamous, we'll hear from a very different kind of internet sensation. I mean, could you literally imagine someone just publishing a story saying, I was your first name, your last name? I was Caroline Calloway, written by her former friend, Natalie Beach. Beach chose to expose Calloway in a scathing tell-all essay about her one-time business partner. One's blonde, one's brunette, one is beautiful one's the the other friend it's just like yeah that actually wasn't her i was her i was like this is hell this is a nightmare when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.